Welcome everyone to yet another amazing episode of Javinity Connecting the Dots, where we connect the dots between all things, all matters related to public health, planetary health, environmentalism, lifestyle medicine, whole food plant-based nutritional approach. And I have an amazing guest today. I'm your host, Nivi Jaswal. In a minute, we'll find out. What's heart health got to do with veganism? Welcome to the show, Dr. Tahir. Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure to be on your show. Uh, thank you so much. This is uh, an, an amazing honor and uh, the pleasure is all mine. Um, let's dive right in. Tell us a little bit about your life journey and your story. Well, you know, Nivi, I came to America in my 40s. Uh, a bit late. So I had a lot of catching up to do. I was trying to go for the American dream, which is great, but ended up really pursuing the bad part of the American dream, meaning that I was all out for fame and fortune. I worked long hours, 18 to 19 hours a day, paying scant attention to my health, my family, and my friends. In fact, I believe that my job robbed me of an opportunity to lead a purposeful, positive, passionate life. So all my life, uh, Nibi, I was a lover of good, like say not good, but unhealthy, rich food like the standard American diet, meat, eggs, dairy, and sugar, aptly called the sad diet. Also, I was a lover of Indian food, like, you know, the oil, the ghees, the refined foods, and uh, the sugary things, saturated fats. So, in, in effect, I was a seafood eater. And people ask me this. I was a S-E-E. I ate everything at sight. You name it, and I have eaten it. And then I was a couch potato. I did absolutely no exercise. You know, we first generation Indians that came to America did not even know how to spell exercise. Trust me, most of us. So the only exercise I did was for my eye muscles looking at joggers running the park. <laughs> and then on top of it, I had a type A personality. It is my way or the highway. So I had a very stressful life. Everybody has stresses. They know how to handle it. I did not. So not knowing how to handle stress and the food habits, the diet habits, and no exercise. So it was no surprise that heart disease, especially coronary artery disease, came knocking at my door at the age of 56. Wow. Now, I had an option to either go for bypass surgery or stents. I went in for stents. Yes. And let me tell the reader, uh, the listeners over here, 
it's not an ordinary thing. When they put the stents in me, my plaques were so thickened that they had to use a diamond-tipped grill to shave off the plaques. And in the process, I had a cardiac arrest. Oh, did the cardiac arrest happen while the rotablator was While the rotablator was being done, I got a cardiac arrest and they had to shock me to revive. And next morning I saw the pedal burns on my chest. Then I went immediately three days after that back to work because I was a workaholic. Mm -hmm. And and I this would have been a right time maybe to change my life. But I did not. I had the same lifestyle. In fact, I was so depressed now. I thought I was a doctor. It was not going to happen to me. I was so depressed. I was angry. I was in the denial. Mm -hmm. And then there was this tormenting thoughts that were running rats in my mind. Wow. I used to sit alone in a room, wanted to be alone, sit and look at the ceiling for hours. Sometimes I would be uh, you know, angry for no rhyme or reason. And so all these dark energies eventually manifested into physical symptoms. Okay. So sinuses and bronchitis made the daily, made the yearly visits. Yeah. Then I had this chronic constipation that led to the of uh, inguinal hernia to be surgerized, hemorrhoids, and the infamous diverticulitis. Wow. And that was the small pockets in the colon which perforated. Mm -hmm. And twice when they were perforated, I was admitted for long duration in the hospital with IV antibiotics. And the second time when it got perforated, I still remember the surgeon waiting out to cut my colon off, a part of my colon. That is what they do. Yeah. And I stopped them. So that was my state of affairs. I was again admitted for an enlarged prostate with acute retention of urine, gross hematuria, and they put large catheters in to take the clots out. And it was like somebody putting an iron rod in your genitals. So again, it was not a surprise. With all these things happening, my stance failed. Right. Restenosis happened, yeah. And then I had to have the open heart surgery. My life begins now. Right. Something happened. Inflection point, reflection point, a moment of reckoning. I don't know. But I said I was tired of leading this life. Okay. I had two choices. One was to just continue living this mediocre life and be on a rocking chair, live vicariously through my children and my grandchild and wait for the inevitable death. Right. Or turn this setback into an opportunity, into a kind of comeback. And I chose the latter. So as they were wheeling me in the surgical room, I, I so distinctly remember, I looked at the nurses and told them I was going to do a half marathon in a year's time, if all went well. Wow. And they laughed and they smiled. I don't blame them. Right. They humored me. But my recovery was remarkable. I actually got up on a treadmill on the third day 
after my open heart surgery in the wow. open heart. That's incredible. And I did not take a single pain medication after that. Mm -hmm. I don't think uh, your, your viewers would be able to understand this, but let me explain. To me, pain was now a pleasure in comparison to the emotional agony I'd gone the last five years. Right. So I was there. I was now living life. So I decided to take up a sport. What else could I do? I promised them that I would run half a marathon, so I took up running. This sedentary slob who had not even not even done a kilometer is now trying to do a half marathon. Wow. I took small steps, and I think somebody said, I don't remember who, but that running is the classical road to self-recognition, uh, uh, your self-awareness, your self-consciousness. And so to me, Maybe when I started running, it was like meditation in motion. Yeah. I could hear the birds chirp. I could see the, the waterfalls. And at the same time, I was doing good for my heart. Sure. So that is how I started. So in eight months time after that, my wife and I went around to the Nashville uh, town, uh, city, Nashville, and I finished my half marathon in three and a half hours of grueling, grueling hours. Right. But I felt like I was on top of Mount Everest. Right. Dr. Daher, you know, well, thank you so much for introducing the viewers to this brilliant um, story of your comeback, you know, after a coronary artery bypass procedure and, um, you know, how your mental health, it had taken a toll on your mental health and how you were feeling. Now, um, you know, since, you know, we are talking about plant-based health and veganism, and, and we're talking about what has heart health got to do with veganism. Um, I'm curious to know when and why did you transition to a plant-based diet? How did you come to know about it first? You were obviously a meat and dairy eater. Um, how, how did you get to know about it? See, people change to a plant-based diet for three reasons. One is for health reason. One is to cruelty to animals. The third is climatic. Mm -hmm. My wife and daughter changed 30 years back because of cruelty to animals. Wow. I changed because of totally health reasons. Mm -hmm. I had to find out what I was doing wrong. Mm -hmm. So I looked at the gurus, the uh, doctors, the researchers, and read their books from Dean Ornish to you name it, you know, Neil Bernard and everybody else, Kim Williams. And I read and I found out and I tried to understand the flow, the coronary blood flow. And to me, that is the most the essence to understand why a person changes also. Because right. your coronary blood flow, your inner lining of your coronary is endothelium and that produces nitric oxide, which keeps your coronary artery dilated. And this right. is in all your arteries, not yeah. only that. The so coronary. you're wondering, that is why I said, wait a minute, let me see if this is true. And when I yeah. started taking each thing as it comes and change myself, I felt better. I was not immediately a plant-based, I was a flexitarian. Right. So I cut back on meat, eggs, and dairy. Then stepwise from flexitarian, I became 
a pescatarian, where I ate only fish and did not eat anything else. But one thing I'll tell you, if somebody asked me a question, what is the first thing they would give up, should give up when you want to turn plant-based? Dairy. Yeah. So that is my thing. That is what has helped me in understanding. And then I did it very stepwise. If you're a strong-willed person, you can go cold turkey. Right. But I was not. And therefore, I started seeing that it was helping. It was helping much more. My diabetic colitis was not as much. I was getting, of course. And that brings me to the point when I turned completely plant-based, what happened as opposed to eating, the, uh, being a sort of an omnivore. Initially, I was a total carnivore. Right. So, so on a spectrum from being a total carnivore, and, and you actually said that you, you, know, you were on a seafood diet, and that's really interesting, you know, that you would eat anything that you, you, you would lay your eyes on. And um, you transitioned to a 100% whole food plant-based lifestyle. Um, and in doing so, you almost did like an experiment with an elimination protocol. And, and saw that as you were removing some of these products, what was the impact on, on your body? Correct. You see, the trouble is that it is very hard to train your taste buds. Right. I tell most people that you've got 5,000 5, cells in your taste buds. Mm -hmm. You're trying to make them happy with the expense of the trillions of cells in your body otherwise. So I had to train my taste buds. An animal eater, a, a, uh, really a carnivore, it's very, very difficult. So I tried to change my food habits accordingly. Right. So I like the hamburger. Okay, so now what is an earthy thing? It's mushrooms, which yeah. is very earthy. So that with spinach and mustard and all that made me feel I was having hamburger and it tasted great. Right, exactly. So when you, when I wanted to, and this is the truth, Nivi, that when I came uh, about 2018, I remember on the New Year's Eve, was uh, six of my friends, couples came over and tried to, they had to spend the night with us. And next morning I told all of them that I'll get you scrambled eggs. And they were thrilled, you know, that, okay, you're gonna cook? I said, yeah, I'm gonna cook. So I did the scrambled eggs with tofu. Right. I did all the things. I put all the condiments and everything, spice and everything else, tomatoes, onions, everything else. And then I brought it out. Oh, finger licking. This is my God, where did you get the eggs from? That was the question. Then I said, my dear, this is not eggs. This is tofu. Then one of them timidly turned around and said, oh, then it's not that tasty. Wow. <laughs> that tells you so much about, you know, taste is the psychology of it versus really, you know, the physiology of it. Um, Dr. Zahar, you know, you mentioned, uh, you know, a few seconds ago on while narrating your, you know, the nutritional preferences of your um, wife and your daughter and, and versus, you know, how you had been living your, uh, you know, your life. And, and you mentioned that they had been vegan for the animals for over three decades. Uh, yes, yes. My, uh, they are not total vegans. Okay. They are pescatarians occasionally. Okay. They don't eat meat and dairy and 
So predominantly plant-based. Now, um, for for those number of years when they were eating predominantly plant-based, but you were a confirmed meat eater and you were really enjoying your life and eating meat, dairy, eggs, and so on, what was, if you can recount, what was your um, attitude towards them, like your their choices? How How would you relate to their nutritional choice at that point? You see, our family is a pretty open family. We uh, accept people's diverse views. And uh, I had no problem at all that they could have. They had no problem that I was eating. So in, a, in, in respect is that even if somebody still wants to eat, I, have, I will tell them not to. But if there's their own life, and I don't think that ever came into play with us, you know. So if I, and she would not necessarily cook non-veg in the house, but then I would go out and I would get things or uh, take away or whatever. But it didn't really make a difference. I don't remember a time that I had to tell my daughter, oh, come on, stop it, eat chicken. You know, what's wrong in it? You're not getting this. It did not happen that way. Right, right. So, okay. Well, thank you so much for, you know, clarifying that because uh, I, I guess that our viewers, especially on Unchained TV, there are lots and lots of people who are, you know, who might already be vegan or identify as plant-based, but then there are a lot of viewers who are curious about the plant-based diet. And one of the big reasons, uh, you know, we found people talk about how, uh, you know, their familial circumstances and, and, you know, those perceptions around food and what's good for you and what's not, and, and how to navigate those social situations that tends to hold some of these people back. And, and it's really heartening to know that, you know, uh, in your family, uh, there is a lot of tolerance for diversity of views. And, and when that tug of war or that push or pull, push and pull doesn't exist, then it gives an opportunity for, you know, people to make up their mind or change their mind or make their decisions independently. So that's the reason why I asked you. So after just one second, after my book, they've turned more towards the vegan aspect of it. The fish is hardly yes. there anymore. Of course. That is a great uh, thing, you know. Of course, it, it rubs off both ways, you know, so. And again, I never tell my patients or also, because they always tell me, you know, that uh, if you tell your patients, oh, you're going to live long, you're not going to get disease, they're not going to listen. But if you tell them, try it out for two or three months and see how great you feel. Right. Then they will say, okay, doc, I'll try it out for two or three days, uh, months. Right. It's about experimenting. It's about, you know, uh, approaching it with the experimenter's uh, logic and to say, no harm. You know, I can do this for a short while. I'm not making a commitment and nobody's asking me to do this for the entire, for the rest of my life. I'll give it a shot. And then while people give it a shot, you and I both know, uh, you know, inevitable people end up feeling really great. Well, yeah. I just want to quickly bring up this graphic, you know, so our viewers know the essence of the journey that you've been describing so far, Dr. Tahir, um, you know, to talk to us a little bit about how becoming a marathoner made you an optimist. Um, we're going to talk in a minute about your mountaineering experience and some of very tall mountains that you've summited at, you know, in your 60s and in your 70s, which is unheard of, you know, for a lot of the people out there who are on a standard American diet and very sed sedentary lives. Um, 
talk to me a little bit about this graphic and you know the values and and the behaviors that you've listed on the left and the activities that you've chosen to do on the right you see yeah, the trouble is uh, the thing is uh, navy that when i started doing my half first half marathon i was so thrilled and i realized that there was something in me the running part of and because the running part as i said was a uh, meditation and motion it really made me feel great about it you know the optimism started with that that oh, wow. okay i can do i can do great things if i run because i'm really helping both my mind as well as my body so i started off with the uh, this thing and then immediately i think in uh, 2011 i did a, a chicago marathon and what a, what a beautiful story in that was that lady that yeah. lady was pregnant who gave birth 7 days later you mentioned in your book yeah you know you know i know she uh, she actually beat her husband by 15 minutes and she yeah. had a t-shirt saying that i got the permission from my gynecologist to run this and then she delivered a, a baby about seven hours after that oh, seven hours i missed yeah so she was in the dressing and she ran that and 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 this made, you know inspires you that if people can do this then i can do it so my optimism level to tell my uh, staff so i take my staff now for a run then i went around uh, last uh, two uh, three months back and took about 20 doctors in san antonio for a half marathon and now it is my thing that i'm going to do this in september or october of this year this will be the first time that you will have 20 15 to 20 plant based people who will be doing a half marathon wow okay in georgia exactly wow this is absolutely needed you know because a lot of people believe when the first question i get is oh you only eat plants and what about deficiencies aren't you deficient in some of the things and and you know if um uh, when people see you know your um, friends and acquaintances these 20 plant based people run half marathons you know they're actually going to be uh, creating a testimony and and an example and a case study for um, you know giving a befitting answer for some of those questions that we encounter see a quick dissing uh, note on this is when i was a uh, flexitarian and i gave up things and i did i still used to do the marathons but i would be 7 or 8 days after the marathon in bed and every time i ran a marathon i used to have a huge piece of chicken and that was initially this is initially mm-hmm. and i was a, a flex flexitarian then i used to wonder what is it i am doing yoga i'm doing meditation i'm exercising it has to be something with the food why am i getting so lethargic after my runs and all that so i started wait a minute let me change So when I did my hundred kilometer bike ride, I still ate meat. Mm-hmm. So I was in bed after that for three or four days. Okay. And I ate after the hundred uh, kilometer bike ride. I ate a piece of chicken. But when I ran my hundred mile bike ride, this is a classic thing. It was under gale force winds. It was terrible. and it took us about 9 and 1/2 hours that time i was a vegan plant based vegan 
And I was feeling so good after that nine and a half hours that my trainer and I, we were there and I told my trainer, we are not leaving tomorrow, let's leave uh, today. As we were leaving to go to a small town, Gadsden, I get a call saying that there's a note, there's no doctor tomorrow and we need cover. And I said, don't worry about it. Now, nine and a half hours of biking, six hours to reach a small town, sleeping and the next morning getting up to do 10 hour shift without batting an eyelid. And, and not needing to be in bed. Not needing to be in bed. My days were absolutely, what does it mean? It's a plant-based. Yeah, it, it, it demonstrates the power of plants. Absolutely. Like, even even the telomeres and all that, you know, lengthening of yeah. that, oh boy. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, so you've spoken about the positive changes that you've seen physically and mentally. You've spoken yeah. about the experiments that you've done. You've thrown physical endurance in the mix while being a flexitarian and then repeated some of those experiments after having gone 100% plant-based vegan. Right. And then you've been then able to show A versus B and, and you know, those um, changes. Absolutely. What did you then struggle with the most when you became plant-based, if anything? You see, because the idea is always as a peer pressure. People don't want you to do it. People say, what, come on, have something. Mm -hmm. And it is always the peer pressure. Then in my time when I did it, there were not enough groups, vegan groups that you could go to. Now you see so many. There were not enough restaurants. So I had to call up restaurants beforehand and said, do you have vegan on your uh, menu. And then I learned from the Hollywood people as my uh, nephew is an actor. So I learned from there that what they do is they eat half the meals at home, then go to parties and just nibble. So when you eat your own food and then you just have a little bit nibbling of uh, you know, your salads and all that, that helps. Also, I threw everything that was unhealthy out. So that would help me because otherwise you're tempted. Right. So I took everything off that and threw it out. And, and so it is even discipline and it is regularity that makes you continue your uh, this thing. And again, think about it. What made you become? Why? Why did I do it? And if you are getting results out of this, Right. When you're getting no uh, diverticulitis, when they were going to cut you open, and when you're not getting any other problems, stomach problems or other problems, and then when you look at your results and your cholesterol is going down and other things are getting better, your blood pressure is getting better. Hey, now time comes now when but mistakenly, if I have something which I don't know about it somewhere, my gut bacteria, micro. In some, uh, this in microbiomes will immediately say, hey, Akhil, you did something wrong. <laughs> They're very quick to tell, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, what are, tell our viewers, what are some of the habits that help you stay on track with your plant-based athleticism? Yeah, see, the thing is, you, you have to understand, you have to have some kind of a regularity. So if you are going to continue having, have a routine in your life. Mm -hmm. 
Like for example, when I get up with the, uh, in the morning, I will always have a glass, huge, big glass of lukewarm water with uh, apple cider vinegar in it. That's the first thing I do after brushing my teeth, period. Then I stop and make the juice. It's not a juice, it's a smoothie. So yeah. any fruits that you have in the house, I put it in there with the flaxseed and a little bit of spinach or arugula, whatever I have, and make the smoothie. In between this, I'm watching the TV for the morning news, and I come and have my cup of coffee. Yes, I do have a cup of coffee, but I use uh, the pea milk, PEA. So that's excellent because I get the protein. Now I think about, hey, wait a minute, and the beets. The beets are very important because they dilate the coronary arteries. Right. So I immediately then think of, I'm dying to now run, to do some kind of elliptical or something. And if it is raining, I do it at home. I have a gym at home or I go out. And once I'm out over there, then I do that. I come back, have the bre breakfast and it can be tofu, it can be anything, you know, cereal. And then I try to do my yoga, meditation, all that. So that keeps me on track till it is time for lunch where I can have a burger or a whole bean soup or seven bean soup yeah. or whatever. There's so many things now available. Right. And, and it's the sheer diversity of a plant-based diet that, you know, uh, for you after having neuro adapted your 5,000 cells in, in your, you know, taste buds uh, yearns for it. But, you know, I have a question. So, so um, before going vegan, um, I experimented with the ketogenic approach for four years, and that brought me to an extremely dark place. Um, you know, I had se several diagnoses, and, and thankfully, I stumbled upon a whole food plant-based, uh, you know, lifestyle, and I was able to address all of those illnesses. Um, but back then, when I was doing keto, and I would go, I, I've been an avid, you know, um, I've been an, in, I've had an interest in, you know, exercise. I, I've been very, um, um, you know, regular with that. And I would always hear that you can exercise things off. So it doesn't matter if you ate a cheeseburger, it doesn't matter if you had a pizza, because, you know, you deserve it after a long day's hard work and dealing with politics, you know, in office and so on, and you can exercise it off. Now, in, in our previous conversation, you know, you mentioned diet is more important than exercise. And so please help uh, address this myth. Okay. Diet is more important than exercise any day. You cannot outrun your diet. Hmm. Remember, if you are doing a five kilometer or a 3.1 miles, you are going to burn not more than 300, 400 calories. Mm -hmm. You go to a fast food joint with one burger, you will get your 500 calories. Yeah, even more. When I, when I talk to my patients, I say, what is the number one thing you should do if you want to reduce weight? Diet, a proper diet, a plant-based diet. Number two, plant-based diet. Number three, plant-based diet. Because exercise will make you, it's, it's great. Exercise has its own advantages. Right. Of, you know, endorphins and your blood pressure coming down and all that. But when you are thinking of uh, diet, 
being more important than exercise. And remember one thing, maybe it is not uh, bad uh, genetics that run in the family. Yeah. It is a bad diet that runs in the family. Yes. It's a food that either feeds or fights disease. Right. It's yeah. so important. Yep. And and fight you did, right? So I I um, I, I want to show our viewers this lineup, which would put a 20-something-old, a 30-something-old to shame, given that you've done skydiving, you ran the Nashville Half Marathon in 2010, you summited Mount Kailash in, in the Himalayas, you know, for viewers to locate where that really tall mountain peak is. In 2010, you ran the Chicago Marathon in 2011, where you gave the example of... Um, you know, the pregnant woman who delivered soon after having run and completed the marathon. You summited Mount Kilimanjaro in 2012. You ran the Boston Marathon. And, and I've been reading your book and uh, the, the anecdote around Heartbreak Hill was, you know, specifically interesting for me. And the Standard Chartered Mumbai Marathon, you know, a place that both, you know, both of us have had the privilege of calling home for several years, um, and, and then the 100-mile bike ride, the bungee jump in New Zealand in 2019. I think you did it in Queenstown in, in the South Island, did you? Yes, yes. And San Antonio Half Marathon in 2021. Oh my goodness, that is just such an impressive lineup, Dr. Tahir. First of all, congratulations. Thank you, and, and I am dying to ask you, how old were you when you started doing these things? Uh 61. I'm 74 now. So in the span of 10, 12 years that I've done, it is interesting that, you know, I must mention that, uh, you know, when you do the thing that you fear the most, death of fear is certain. When I jumped out of the plane mm -hmm. earlier on, I was so terribly scared. I'd actually worn dark pants. So, you know, but the idea was that that was the situation. But when I did my bungee jump, I mean, the video can show you if yeah. somebody has a chance to go on YouTube. I am flying like a bird and enjoying every moment of it because fear is gone. And, you know, some of these things about my marathons, it, it is so important that uh, there are humorous anecdotes behind it. Like, for example, and, and helpful ones, for example, the, the one in Boston that you talk about, the Heartbreak Hill, I started off with those cold, so the toboggan that you wear, the woolen cap that you wear, and then it started getting very hot. So yeah. I discarded it. And then I had $20. My wife always says, take $20 and put it in your pocket. So I went up to a couple who, the guy was wearing a hat, a Boston, and I, and I said, can I have your hat, please? I'm really, the sun is too. And uh, he was reluctant, but she elbowed him and said, give the damn hat to him. <laughs> and then she said, she did not even take the $20. But he, as I was going by, he said, look, mate, this hat was with me for 10 years. So you better finish the marathon. That inspired and motivated me. And then I went around looking for him. I went to all the organizers and I said, please, I want to return this hat. And I hope he's looking at this, uh, you know, uh, talk or he's reading my book. So I really want to return his head back to <laughs> people who are great. 
No, I, I must say I will join you in putting that call out. And and we're a Boston-based nonprofit here uh, and uh, in the Boston area. If any of our viewers right now watching this are in Boston, you part you watched you were a spectator in the boston marathon when was it in 2014 after the uh, bomb bombings because i did it for that yes so 2014 and if you remember uh you know giving your hat to the gentleman who i'm talking with at this point in time please I, come forward i got it very safely and, and and you know why the mumbai marathon is very dear to me because I grew up in that city. You mentioned, yeah, and and I'm, I have my uh, first love and my only love from that country, you know. Right. So I and 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 the the camaraderie be, between the runners is so great, and the respect. That's where the respect comes of the Eastern respect, where they, when you have a place where you have to go for water, they'll stop and they'll hand you the water, and they're trying to break the records. Right. Says, Sir, have it, you know, uncle, have it. Yes. It's a great thing to yeah, say. I read in your book about that. And, you know, obviously, um, I'm a Mumbaiker at heart. Uh, you know, I, I spent long years of my career and my, you know, life there. Um, so reading that part about the Mumbai Marathon, uh, the Standard Chart Marathon was really inspiring. And it was very nostalgic for me, too. Um, I'm going to hold up this wonderful book, Dr. Zahar, that you've written. Um, it's a must read for, it's a slim read, quick read, but it's full of these amazing, you know, mini stories and, and journeys. And this is your first book, uh, isn't it? And you're, you're an amazing storyteller, Dr. Zahar. I, I just wanted to, um, you know, bring up for our viewers this um, testimonial uh, written by none other than Dr. Kim Williams uh, from the Rush Medical Center in Chicago. And, uh, and he says, this is an insightful recount of a journey on a road to recovery that needs to be traveled for many more of us. Pay particular attention to the chapter titled, Diet is More Important Than Exercise. We really can't exercise our way out of a diet a bad diet. And of course, you know, we heard your views on that as well. So Dr. Tahir, this is just uh, in, incredible. This book is incredible because it's not just about encouraging people to consider a whole food plant-based diet, but it's about more than that. It's, it's, a, it's about the before and after. It's about mental health, in, which all of us need, you know, so badly in, in the state of ambiguous losses that, you know, we're all suffering from. Um, during the pandemic. Um, you know, talk to me, let's switch gears a little bit, you know, talk to me about spirituality. Um, how did the modalities of yoga, meditation, spirituality, and, and you, you referred to something called sky breathing. How did, how do those, um, how have those played a part in your transformation? And, and what is sky breathing, if you can share with our viewers? Yeah, uh, sky, sky breathing first is uh, the pranayama that you do in the art of living. And if you do this, some of my patients have also uh, benefited, even getting COVID, the pulse ox will always be normal. So it's a breathing exercise that you do. And I've done it with people with pulmonary fibrosis and others, and they do have an advantage once you know how to do this properly. But uh, spirituality, think about it, uh, Nevi. Uh, I was all alone and depressed when I was in my five bad years. 
Now that loneliness was terrible. But when I circumvented on foot the Mount Kailash, and when I finished the circumventing 19,000 plus feet, everybody was doing the high fives. I went in a corner alone. This was joy for me. Now I was alone and joyful because I felt that what am I doing? What does this require? All these things. I went back, back to my basics to understand. And that is why when I came down, my wife noticed that something had happened to me. So I was not aware of it, but she says, you're mellowed down. So the spirituality is a bigger crutch for me than other people because I was not handling stress well. I wasn't sleeping well. Some people have a natural tendency to do this, but I did not. For me running and then diet was extremely important. It took me a while, but this was a thing that I was, so I had to use this. Even now when my wife and I do meditation, it kind of makes me, she is there, but I'm not. So I'm trying my best to do this. So that meditation and spirituality is an ongoing thing with me, you know, that I may not be an organized religion person, but yeah. I'm definitely very spiritual and I respect every religion. Yeah. If you tell me to go to a, a mandir or if you tell me to go to a, a, a Gurudwada or if you tell me in the Jewish system, temple, I'm very happy. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, in vegan circles and in plant-based circles, compassionate eating circles, you know, people who believe in the world peace diet, you know, we know Will Tuttle wrote that book and, and so on. And, and so many have spoken about how a whole food plant-based diet is spiritually uplifting. Because remember one thing, what did Pythagoras say long time back? He said that as long as people kill the lower species, animals, you will always have war and you'll always kill other human beings. Mm -hmm. This is Pythagoras' words. It came a long time back. And then think about what, how important diet is, that no disease that can be treated by food or diet or nutrition should be treated with anything else. Maimonides. He was a Jewish philosopher. Yeah. So, so think about these things. Where else can you find a low-fat, whole food, plant-based, no-oil diet that can not only prevent, but reverse coronary artery disease? Yeah, I've yeah. seen it in my patients. Yeah, yeah. So this is extremely, extremely important when we talk about a whole food plant-based diet. And with the whole food plant-based diet, I'll tell you another thing, uh, Nibi. I, I started getting clarity of thought. Yeah. And I started now leaning towards that's cruelty to animals because my clarity has increased. And then I see that the animal uh, farming, what damage it is doing. Yeah. You're cutting down trees, you're deforesting it. What is happening? The carbon dioxide comes out. You get more heat. And more heat means you're melting your glaciers. I've seen this. Yeah. And the glaciers melt, means sea rise increases, the lower lying cities will be flooded. Now, 
I went over there to Mount uh, Kilimanjaro. On top, I saw the dwindle ice caps. Yeah. I saw the ones in 1900. And when I went in 2011 or 2012, they were shrunk, they were shrunk totally. Yeah. But what are we doing for our children? What are we doing for our grandchildren? Right. Yeah. And then really, you know, thank you for, you know, sharing this and, and your own eyewitness account, literally, you know, on top of uh, one of the tallest peaks, uh, you know, the, the highest freestanding mountain, as uh, Mount Kilimanjaro is called. Um, I was recently speaking with somebody who specializes in, you know, somatic studies and, and they're a counselor and they have a deep belief in healing through movement and, and kinesthetics and healing through conscious dance and conscious meditation practices, you know, Himalayan Kriya Yoga and, and so on. And um, unfortunately, what I learned in the course of that interaction indirectly through their response was that they're not a believer yet uh, in a whole food plant-based approach, you know, and, and they used a term given that this was, you know, a one-on-one -on -one interaction. And I was like most passionate vegans are really, you know, talking about passionately about my own healing and, and transformation, and especially coming through the door of health. I was referring to the, the major, you know, main doctors, the, the pioneers in, in, uh, in this field, Dr. Dean Ornish and Dr. Esselstyn Jr. and, you know, Dr. T. Colin Campbell and Dr. Neil Barnard and so on. They used the word, oh, you seem to have a lot of evangelical type fervor and passion towards this lifestyle. It's important to consider that that's not the only way to be. And and clearly, this person is somebody who hasn't connected the dots. So, so Dr. Zahar, my question to you is, when we're faced with people, and, you know, equally, you find a lot of animal rights people who are not vegan. You find a lot of compassionate people fighting for, you know, uh, justice from structural inequalities and systemic racism. In fact, some of the environmentalists and climate scientists who still don't connect these dots, when we're faced with people who are working in the area of the healing arts, you know, people who are licensed practitioners and healthcare providers and, and who work day in and out to help people, their health and mental health and so on. What is your guidance on how can people like us talk to them and express ourselves without being labeled as such? You should, it should be a free flow conversation. Listen to them, see what they have to say and answer their questions. Don't be dogmatic about a situation and say, oh, you're not eating, why you should not be eating. I'll tell you one, two, three, four, five uh, ways it's important to eat this diet. No, because remember to stop smoking, it took 10 years we had ads where doctors were smoking in the hospitals. So it took us 10 years. It is going to take time. But remember, it is 600% more increase in veganism in America today. Yeah. So it is happening when people realize that they are getting the advantages. And if they have the belief, okay, work with them. Don't turn around and say your thing about doing all this dancing and Sufi music and whatever, whatever you have, but you're still going to eat meat, it is okay. 
it's okay for the time being. Don't give up your things, but you cannot force anybody into it unless they enjoy it. So I always tell people, try it out. If you don't like it, see, remember in the Game Changers, they had that one, one example of giving them a portal meat diet yes. and all the erection and the maintenance of the erection was totally gone. And yeah. with plant-based, it was there. That is why when I tell my patients, they're not worried about getting a heart attack. But the moment I tell them you're going to lose it and you're not going to perform, they immediately want to listen more. So going to be erectile dysfunction. Then they say, oh, oh really? I'm going to listen to you. It, look at my older patients in the hospital. They're with heart attacks. Well, what is the main problem? Things that trouble them comes out in the open. What troubles an old person in a hospital? Think about it. Constipation, bowel movements. Yeah. So the first thing they will turn around and tell the doctor who walks in the room, what am I doing? I'm getting very thing. I'm not getting a bowel movement. You have got a heart attack. Ask me about that. No. So you got to work with these people. Now I'm working with my grandson. I'm trying to tell him. So little by little, we are trying to get him more fruits, more veggies, more things. And it'll happen, but it'll take time. If veganism is not a fad. Yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. It isn't. I mean, you and I are uh, living testimonies, even though we're in very different life stages. But, you know, it, it just has proven at, at our levels and, and, and thousands of viewers, you know, watching this or who would have watched uh, the recording once the show releases, you know, um, their testimony and, and all that people need to do is look on Forks Over Knives uh, website and, and their Facebook group, which is the one of the largest, you know, thriving in the world. Now, um, and, and thank you so much for sharing that. And that change is inevitable, but change is going to happen one at a time. And, and if somebody has those notions about people like us who choose to eat this way um, and are going to be judgmental and, and give, give us some labels, um, the best, the best uh, you know, comeback is not to live those labels. You see, there's Dr. Esselstyn and there's Dr. Dean Onish. Yeah. Esselstyn is very, very tough. On that and I don't blame him. Yes. He says this is what you have to do if you want to have a reversal. Yes. Well, Dean Ornish does not. See, I met both of them. I've had conversations with them. But Dean Ornish says, okay, if you can do it, well and good. But at least something is better than nothing. Nothing. Yes. And then we need both messages. We need both. If somebody who is so much involved in it and wants to go cold turkey, go to Esselstyn. Right. He'll get you on the right path. You know that that uh, thing was done, that 18 uh, patients study was done. You're the death door patients, absolutely. And I've had a you know the um, honor of speaking with Dr. Esselstyn Jr. as well. Yeah, so COVID has uh, this thing also. Uh, your uh, plant-based diet has a very classical effect on COVID. Just recently, I heard Dean Ornish talk about it. Do you know about the 3,000 uh, people study? Yes. Yes. So, and, and there are quite a few studies. And in fact, um, um, at my nonprofit, at this point in time, we're running uh, something called Project Gaia, which is a major public health research study in the U.S. And we're exploring the correlation between COVID-19 and diet as well. Uh, you know, dietary patterns, we're looking at 
you know, impact on communities of color specifically and, and so on. So can't wait to, you know, share with you the results once we have more on that. Vitamin D2 is extremely important. There was a very small study done yeah. about two years back when there were 50 people taken, 25, uh, all 50 were serious enough to get into the hospital. Right. And they put 25 on very high doses of vitamin D, 50,000 units, and the others that did not. And the ones that did not put on, seven of them landed up on a ventilator. Wow. While the 25 people who were put on very high doses, only one landed on a ventilator. Right. So, and Dr. Jahar, you mentioned something about uh, you know, eggs and dairy, especially dairy. And and since you brought up vitamin D and we know how, you know, dairy not only leads to metabolic acidosis, but it also interrupts the vitamin D pathways and sort of, um, uh, you know, paves the way for osteopenia, osteoporosis and so on. But you made a comment saying the first thing that anyone who eats meat, who eats eggs, who eats dairy, the first thing that these people need to consider and eliminate from their diet is dairy. Now, why would you single out dairy? I'm very curious. Tell us a little bit more. Because that has got a cause and effect relationship immediate, more so than the meat and other things. You stop dairy for a while, for two days, and you will see that the flatulence, the distension, all that goes off. And see, dairy to me is easier for making people understand. Because in, in the case of dairy, as you know, uh, you have to impregnate the cow constantly. So you're shooting uh, hormones, estrogens like crazy. And once the little calf is born, you hear the mother mooing and crying and you're snatching away this calf and using it as wheel in a restaurant. So my point is that that is an other aspect of it, but the major aspect of it is that we do have a casein. We are the only people, the only species who after uh, weaning, we not only have human milk, but we go and have the cow's milk, the casein. And what does a casein do? Very difficult to digest casein. But even if some of the people digest it, what happens? You know, a little, a lot of amount of milk is required to have a small amount of cheese. And the cheese is very much heavy with uh, this casein. What does it form? Casomorphine. Yeah. And casomorphine becomes addictive. Yeah. That's why when I tell my patients that, have you given up dairy? Oh, yeah, doc. What about cheese? Oh, no, 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 I'm having cheese. Very difficult to give up cheese. Right. And, it's and addictive. Plus, imagine those steel things to uh, pump the blood. Others, you, you are, you, there are lacerations on the others, and then you have pus cells, and yeah. then you're using heavy antibiotics. We use more antibiotics on animals than human beings in America. Yeah, utter mastitis and all of those things. And, yeah. and what it, it comes to us, we get it. Yeah. So all these things are the things which mind-boggling from the animal aspect of it and this. The moment I did, I, I let, let me tell you, 60% of the world population is uh, lactose intolerant. Yep. Exactly. They, think that, they think that it is a natural way. This is okay. It is not natural. Yeah. You do the whole food plant-based diet, you realize it is not natural. Absolutely. So the, the idea is that when I give up milk for dairy, boom, 
there is no distension there is no uh, like flatulence unnecessary this or heartburns or it's all gone yeah but when you have that kind of a thing to me uh, if somebody has to start and then now recently they have found out that it even causes cow's milk can cause uh, bleeding on the mucus lining of the intestines so that you can get anemia too and leaky gut syndrome as well. Leaky gut syndrome too. So you, I mean, you know, it's it's a horrible thing. So that is why I would say go ahead with that. But anything would do, going away with meat or whatever, you know. But, yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing that and, and to, you know, for deep diving into, um, uh, you know, dairy. Dr. Dyer, if, if I request you to just move a teeny bit to your right so oh. I can actually see you um, in, in between. That's totally fine. Well, you know, happens happens sometimes. Well, I wanted to um, ask you. We're you know soon going to be running out of time. Um, if you can share with us, you know, some plant-based athletes that have inspired your journey. See, I'll tell you. There's one one person who has been thinking of, and I don't know. You are too young. You may not know that person. So, uh, have you heard of Sunil Gavaskar? Sunil Gavaskar, yes, I've heard of him. I I have a cricket bat signed by Sachin Tendulkar, but I don't have. Tendulkar is your your uh, this thing each side, you know. But mine was Sunil Gavaskar. Do you know that Sunil Gavaskar and I opened in St. Xavier's together? I was the opener, and Gavaskar was my runner. So for our viewers who don't know, St. Xavier's <laughs> College in Mumbai. St. Xavier's School. Oh, St. Xavier's School in Mumbai. All right. Okay. And and he was my runner. And I believe that he's thinking of, you know, trying to give up uh, and become a plant-based. This is awesome. not definite, but I've just heard it from people. So don't quote me on this. But uh, this is uh, number one. Uh, number two, this uh, the uh, again, the captain right now, Kohli. Yeah. The cricket captain. He is there. Sunil Chetri. India's yeah. soccer captain. And then you, if you've seen the movie, uh, the ultra marathon or game changers, uh, Scott Jurek. Yes. And then of course, uh, uh, Djokovic, of course, with all this vaccination problems, but he still is ranked number one. And then Nikita Solanki. Yeah. He is the one who's a yoga trainer and triathlete. And uh, Schwarzenegger and the Williams sisters. Yes. All these people have really, really made me feel that if they can do it, so can I. But there are still very few of the people in septuagenarians like I am yeah. who are going to be in that. I know a few, but very few of us are there, you know, that we want to. And, and to me, uh, it's the book of mine is also a testament that you can change your lifestyle at any age. Yeah. You don't have to do it at a younger age. You can be doing it at 61, 70. I did it at 61. Anybody else can do it at 70, 80, whatever. You can change your lifestyle. Yeah. And and that genetics doesn't have to be your destiny. Um, you know, regardless of age, age is just a number because what, you know, what you stand for and what you do and what you can really, uh, you know, get your human body that you've been blessed with in this lifetime to do is, uh, I, I mean, a lot of us don't even test those limits. 
with our Great. With and then see genetics is about five to ten percent of your health outcome and yeah. that too can be mitigated or negated by a proper lifestyle change it happened in my case yeah. i have got people can you imagine my mother died at 59 my sister died at 59 my one brother died at 52 and I've got all my uncles and father, my father all had surgeries because balloons in their knees. My brother has had uh, surgery. But to me is, you know, when you are getting older, try to live with your vulnerabilities. Don't always try and master everything. We have got to do it. Okay, you have a cataract, go and get it done. But how many people in India are walking around in the fields? They don't get their surgeries done on the knees. So my idea is live with your vulnerabilities and stop complaining. You can do things with what you have. Yeah. My, first, my first marathon was with a metatarsalgia. My Boston was with a calf muscle tear. So I, I feel that you just live life to the fullest. Yes, exactly. And I'm gonna pull up this graphic yet again. Be an optimist, be an explorer, be an adventurer, you know, put yourself to the test, put your body to the test, be a value adder. And, and these are some amazing messages that we have received today uh, from our guest, Dr. Zahir, and his habits for healthy living, eat a low-fat, whole food, plant-based, oil-free lifestyle, you know, to the max. And if you already, uh, you know, aren't doing it, but please do consider, consider it as an experiment, um, grow your food, doing yoga and pranayama. Um, these are the sky breathing techniques that Dr. Zahir does. Connect with nature and, and be adventurous. Thank you so much, Dr. Zahir, for this amazing interaction, this amazing conversation. I hope our viewers uh, you know, uh, will take away um, you know, insights uh, and, and then more uh, from our conversation. I really appreciate your time. It was great talking to you, Nivi. Keep well, up the good work. Well, thank you so much. And until we talk to each other again. And um, I just want to thank all our viewers at Unchained TV, at um, Divinity, uh, at Seeds to Inspire Foundation, um, at uh, the, uh, you know, all all amazing broadcasting partners that we have. You know, I, I, if I haven't named you, you know who you are, Main Street Vegan Academy. Well, thank you so much for your love. We'll be back next month with yet another episode of Divinity Connecting the Dots. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Mm -hmm.